You're listening to Only Here for the Wi-Fi. Yes, hello everybody. How's it going? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Only Here for the Wi-Fi. As per usual, we start the episode out by pinning a comment. And we've already got Alexandra in the in the chat. So that's awesome. I'm wearing my uh, special John Deere hat, especially for... Hey! Hey, how's it going? There we go. We good? Yeah, sorry. Something was weird with my audio, but... That's all good. You look lovely. Thank you. You too. (laughs) I'm loving this look for the the podcast series. It's very... I don't know what it is exactly, but it's like with the green hat and the glasses. It's definitely a thing. You know, I I definitely change up. I have an arsenal of... of, uh, I have a haberdashery, okay? Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, I switch it up. But the one thing that stays still... See, the thing is, is that I I wear these glasses because it's just weird to be looking you know, directly into the camera. So that way it's like, eh, because half the time I'm listening, right? So. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know who does that? Kate, that YouTuber, Casey. 100%. Neistat. Shout out to Casey. Oh, is that where you got it from? That's where I, I definitely picked that up from uh, for sure. No, it, it, it works wonders. I feel very comfortable as well. That's interesting. I should try that. It's a good idea. Yeah. So, Alexandra, here it is. You've left uh, Beirut in uh, somewhat of a hurry during these quarantine times. You were kind of swept away. You were scurried away back home, and it was a bit of a challenge. Yeah, we were supposed to have dinner that night. Yeah. Oh, remember? by the way. Oh, by the way. Remember that? Remember how we were supposed to have dinner? <laughs> that dinner was faded. Every time we Nuh-uh. organized it, it was like... We just we should never plan on getting dinner again because yeah. it, it feels like we caused. Let's growth. do lunch. We'll do yeah, lunch. Yeah, only lunch. Only lunches. Mm. Uh, yeah. So um, just right off the top, okay. I mean, certainly uh, those who are uh, tuning in probably have noticed that yes, you are a uh, a journalist uh, and also an author. You have been working on a book. Uh, for quite some time, uh, from what I last, when we last spoke, you're like revisiting, reworking, you know, tinkering away. Mm. Yeah. I'm re I'm in the middle of a rewrite, which it's weird because in some ways doing that kind of, I don't know if you're finding this with music, but in some ways that can be a really like this time of not going out. And it's very similar to the same process as when I wrote the book. Um, because that was actually, remember when I moved to Bethroon was to write the book originally, the first draft. And now I have a publisher who's interested, but they want to rewrite. Um, but it's at the same time though, I don't know if you're finding this with music, like with the podcast, it must be nice because you're connecting with other people, but there's also this element of, you know, I'm going really into my head and focusing on all these things. And you kind of have to go to this very solo place to create art, but then sometimes I'm like, wait a second, I have no, like, um, there's no break for it. So that's the one, like, I for a rewrite, it's fine because it's not as intense as the first draft, at least for me. But there is a bit of like, okay, I need to, like, do something on a Saturday night because otherwise. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, originally I thought I was only going to do this, um, like, once a week or a couple of times throughout the week. 
and it probably will die down when things, you know, go back to mm. normal. But um, yeah, what is that? Right, exactly. Um, but honestly, like, um, I'm much. I'm just enjoying connecting with people a lot more, hearing, promoting, and like making use of this time in a way because you know what? I, I, honestly, like, it, it's needed in my opinion, at least for me. It's needed for me. I need to speak to these people. I need to make connections. And just like, I need that. So thank you for yeah. taking the time to do this. And um, yeah, so let's rewind uh, for everybody who's uh, listening. We've got uh, Greedy Ears. We've got uh, Jean-Luc out in uh, France. I will say hello to them. You know, probably, oh, we got Anthony Saman from uh, the Beirut Jam Sessions. Just, we're greeting you all. We're all saying hello. We're going to you know, come in from time to time. Um. Yeah, so let's rewind back to the most, the, like the latest occurrence, that stressful fucking like scurrying of getting from Lebanon out before the like the block and the shutdown and everything w went into full on quarantine. Yeah, it was really, I mean, as you know, because we were texting that morning, I was taking my dog to the vet for his last checkup because I was planning on moving. I was planning on moving back to the U.S. on March 18th and you know as the kind of every day it seemed like leading up um to the day that i actually ended up leaving which was the 11th um it just seemed like more and more world borders were closing and so every day i would wake up and i would check iata and they had this list of like what airlines are running where and then you could go by like country so and i had to fly through qatar because of my dog and I was just noticing like Qatar was really shutting down. You know, I think the Gulf states were some of the first to kind of close borders and um, kind of pull up, like shore up their um, populations really fast. And so I knew that. And then when I was at the vet, my dog's ticket was, my ticket was canceled and my dog's ticket was canceled. And I had called various desks and spent hours and when I finally got through to someone and it was Qatar Airways desk in Lebanon, they were like, yeah, sorry, you're not going to get an email about the cancellation because our system is just so overloaded. Like we have no, the system like doesn't understand what's going on. My God. And that's when I was like, oh, this isn't because at that point I was thinking like, okay, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine by next week. And because I was also, if you remember, I was chasing this really big story that I had been working on for two and a half months. And I was, we were in the, like the, the end zone of this story. You were like People wrapping were it like, up. We're, yeah. They were like, we are pretty sure we can give you the interview on the 17th. And I was like, okay, great. Okay. Well, hold up for the, for those who don't know, because, in, and honestly, I've completely erased it from my memory. <laughs> uh, it's pre-corona time. <laughs> pre-corona time. So yeah. Like when was that even? Who, 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 <laughs> who, who was I? Who were you? Yeah. <laughs> So what was this big story? Um, so it was an interview with Carlos Ghosn. And oh, yeah. right. The, the yeah. Nissan guy. Yeah. And so I'd been to the press conference. I'd met with his lawyer. I'd done a lot of the legwork. And I had a colleague, a uh, Forbes colleague in Chicago who I was working with on the story. And we like literally the day, the day before I left, I really left, um, they had said like, okay, we'll send you the confirmation. And so then that the day that I was deciding to leave, I was like, okay, you know, if I don't have the confirmation, I shouldn't stay for it. Because what if, what if they don't say yes? 
you know, and it's kind of a mm. 90% yes, which in news usually ends up being a hundred percent. But as with everything that was going on, it just didn't feel, and actually one of my friends, she's a New York times correspondent. She had told me at my goodbye party that weekend, she was like, don't, get stuck in Lebanon for Carlos Ghosn. And I was like, in my head, I was like, okay, I can't get stuck in Lebanon for Carlos Ghosn. Yeah. So um, after I was talking to the airlines, it became really apparent through the various, then I ended up talking to Qatar Airways in Qatar and they couldn't, I was like, can you just rebook my flight? Cause it seems like in a week, the world's borders were closed and will close. And I really didn't want to get stuck in Lebanon because I'd been planning to move back here. I want to be closer to my family and to be, you know, it's funny because in many ways, Lebanon is probably like I'm in New York, which right now is kind of the epicenter, um, at least in the U S and in the world as well. And our yeah. public health talk about a super anxiety. You had just sent me, um, like a, a, a news story recently oh, that yeah. shit is going pretty cray cray over there right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I literally, it was like, I jumped from the frying pan into the fire, I feel, but for, <laughs> it was, it was where I wanted to be. So that was a big motivator. Like I keep telling people, I'm like, actually Lebanon is handling coronavirus way better. Than yeah. US, it was some, but. uh, some article that just came out that there are a lot of expats, uh, you know, us expats who are kind of like, no, we're good. We're cool. We'll just, <laughs> we'll stay here uh, till things kind of chill out in uh, in the U.S. But I mean, again, I don't want I mean, it, I'm glad that you're home and you're safe and that like, you know, things are sorted. But I don't really understand like why did you like not were you not able to follow up? Because that's a huge story. That's a huge thing. That would be amazing for you. But like, like, OK, so there was a hiccup in. Could you not conduct the meeting via telephone or any of the well, other ways? Like what? So, so they hadn't confirmed. I'd, I'd called their lawyers or their PR people that morning a bunch. Finally, I emailed them or I emailed them again. Like I'd emailed them the night before. And I'm just like, listen, I really need to know because if not, I'm going to leave ASAP. Right. Um, and they didn't get back to me. And so at a certain point, I just decided to just get a ticket out and go through Turkey. And it was definitely the right decision if I wanted to be in America, because right. in the next 24 hours, that was when the EU borders closed. And, you know, as you know, like to go from Lebanon to the U.S., you have to fly through another country. So yeah, I'm pretty sure goal, like, I'm now 100 percent convinced you are CIA, like 100 percent. Like, how did you know? Stop, no, I'm, just, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'm convinced now. You can't. Okay, it's gonna I'm be fucking to get my CIA in the house. That's what's I up. I hate you so much for that. Okay, well, um, I mean, you know, it's humor. We're having humor on the show. I know, I know. Okay, but that's like the the number one thing that people tell you as in American. Lebanon, and like Libby, especially you are CIA. Are you not? Yeah, I know, America, America. Um, okay, so here's here's one thing I gotta ask you because it's about your book. Okay. Which, uh, has to do with like small farms and like the agriculture life, that agriculture hustle, you know what I mean? Like, but what uh, struck me, I mean, I get it that, you know, Lebanon is dear to you. It, as it is to so many people, uh, whoever, who come here, but I, I just don't understand how you were writing your, like, I thought you were writing a book about Lebanon, but it turns you're writing a book about the farming in Southampton. Yeah. So as you know, I was in, I, I was in Lebanon for a few years and then I moved back to my hometown 
for the summer and I was in Southampton and I had pitched the editors and actually I remember it was, I think this was when I was living with you, but I pitched them this agricultural column and like they didn't know how to use Skype and I had to explain it to them. It was really cute. But, and I started interviewing the farmers that I know and don't know, but from my area. And I slowly discovered that, you know, I'm from the oldest farming community in America and kind of the birthplace of small family farms. And I was supposed to, I think I I really only thought that I was going to stay here for a couple of months, but then the reporting quickly became the most interesting work that I'd ever done. Um, The reporting in Lebanon. What the reporting in Lebanon? No, the reporting on the farmers. Out uh, here. Right, and right. It was. I mean, for sure, there's stories that I've chased in Lebanon that are you know much more flashy or sexy or things like that. But it was the first time you know I was interviewing people from my community and hearing from them what they thought issues were, and you. It, it was interesting because it was kind of contextualizing these things that I saw. You know, like when I was a kid in my town there were farm fields all over the village. And then by the time I was a teenager, there weren't any anymore. Mm. So I was researching why that happened. And as I was doing that, this man who has a small publishing company in the town next to mine, he got in touch with me and he said, you know, Alexandra, I think you have a book in this. And as you know, I've always wanted to write a book. My dream job is to just write books. You love you books. Know, There's no doubt about love that. Books. Yeah, can't get enough of them. Wish I could just (laughs) write and read them all the time. So I thought, you know, instead of going back to Lebanon, which is kind of what I wanted to do, why not use this column to do the research for this book for the next year? And kind of, and I had a lot of leeway thanks to the editors at the Southampton Press. And I had a great editor of my column, but I could kind of pick, like, so I would realize, like, I think, oh, this person's kind of interesting. Let me do some research. I'll write an article about them. And then see if they would fit into the narrative of the book. Um, And so I guess the research was about a year and a half. And then after that, I realized that I couldn't, it was really hard for me to write like the first full draft while I was still in Southampton because I was writing about people that I would see. And even though like my access with them is what I think makes the book really great. You know, these are people that have known me since I was a child. Um, it was really hard for me to write critically about them while I was so physically here. Mm. And so that was when I decided to move to Bethroon to write the first draft. So this this book, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's something like This Good Ground or something? Is that the name of the, the title? This This Good Ground, yes. This Good Ground. And it's not a fiction. It's some sort no. of like... Uh, investigative slash historical art, you know, like, like so what do you even call that? It's called narrative nonfiction. So basically I'm, I'm following five characters who um, have kind of been these titans of industry and have, because essentially like Southampton, I don't know how much you know about the Hamptons, but mm-hmm, it's, n- nothing, but it's, go on. <laughs> it's, you know, it's this area that has for a very long time been what they call like a playground for the the wealthy. And because of that economic pressure, like since the late 1800s, people from New York City have been summering out here. And because of that economic pressure, the farmers out here developed these kind of innovative 
ways of farming that then were replicated across the country and the world. And so I've picked Sorry, five. Correct owners. me, I'm just trying to like understand. So is this kind of like the Ozarks, so to speak? Um, kind of like in what way? Well, because mean, I mean, like, like, you know, uh, in the Ozarks, it's, it's, uh, the show, obviously the Netflix show, uh, quite a few, um, quite a few wealthy people and people would go in, in summer there, you know what I mean? <laughs> and the locals will go like there are ebbs and flows of these tourists. <laughs> There's, you know, like this whole industry. Um, and of course, you know, the, the community is, always trying to capitalize on this swell. So, I mean, that's like just for anyone else who's listening, I'm trying to make this more relatable and under like put things in the frame, you know what I mean? Cause you know, farming life in America is a pretty big deal. Yeah. in Lebanon too, like, would you consider Southampton to be like the Bika of, or at least this town? No. Like so, that's what's interesting. So this area was, we have some of the best soil in the world, which I never believed. Cause you know, when you're from a small town, people are like, oh, this is the best. Because number but, one. Yeah, exactly. Truly it is though. Like I looked it up in this, it's like the, the world soil book. It's like this big of a book and it has every single kind of soil in the world listed. Anyways, so where I'm from, like was the original Becca of the this in the 1600s in there the US. But now the middle of the country is the Becca. But a lot of the things that we're experiencing, that we experienced in Southampton, is what is happening now in like the Midwest or the Becca of the US. Mm. Because we just don't have so much of our land here has been taken out of agriculture production. So they've kind of shifted the way of doing farming. And the book is essentially using these five characters, looking at these court cases, these um, kind of innovative legal mechanisms to save land, to have more organic farming, and then applying them to other areas of the U.S. So, I yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm understanding a little bit more about, um, you know, the, the, the deal, so to speak. And... I, I think I even had mentioned to you, it would be even cooler had you done like a two parallel side of things like, you know, uh, you're writing about the farming community in the United States, in Southampton, in your town, but yet there's a farming community in Batroon, you know, there's a farming community in, in Lebanon and that, I mean, I don't know if your publisher or whatever, I mean, you're, you're rewriting well, the book now, you're rewriting it. So fucking so put that shit in there. God damn it. I mean, maybe I will say so. One day I was taking the bus from Batroun to Beirut, and you know, on the bus, people talk to you, and usually I, I kind of would ignore them, but this time it was the driver, and he'd been kind of nice to me. It was raining, and he was like, Oh, what do you do? And I said, Oh, I'm a writer, like, I write books because I don't want to say I'm a journalist because you know, sometimes Whoa, the CIA, CIA journalism, <laughs> oh my god. Exactly. So I'm like, I'm a writer, books, right? Right. He's like, oh, what's the name of your book? And I was like, oh, This Good Ground. And he was like, oh, is it about Lebanon? And I was like, oh, no, it's about the U.S. And then he just starts laughing and he tells everyone in the bus and he's like, that's why it's called This Good Ground. If it was in Lebanon, it'd be called This, piece this of Bad shit. Ground. La, no, don't say that. <laughs> I was like, this is such a good moment. So maybe, maybe that'll be my second book. 
Oh, I'll start there. Yeah. You, oh, you can't make it like a like instead of a book that's like this thick, you make it a book that's like fucking you know like that thick. Maybe? No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm You're not, not gonna, gonna do that. I already. I'm yeah, but I am actually starting a bit of my second book now, which is fiction and set in Lebanon. So. Oh, him, 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 him. Now you're talking about language, fiction. I can get into that. You know what I mean? No, I'm kidding. I mean, listen, we have, uh, yeah, I'm just being a goof. Um, you know, we've had an interesting dynamic where, like, I would actually ask you to do a read through. And oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that has helped you in your editing, in your, like, kind of voicing out your chapters or or like you know what i mean like yeah i think that's actually it's something that i i for sure my writing teachers told me to do but i think you were the one that really got me into reading it out loud and that really does help it can help a because you can hear the flow you know and i think good writing should be very readable right. um and you can often tell you know, when you're reading something and your eyes kind of get stuck, like that's the same thing would happen, but it's just more obvious, I think, when you're reading it out loud. The other thing I found with reading it out loud is, especially with writing a book, you know, I picked up the project and put it down a lot. And the the past few years, it's been a, a kind of a business delay, like getting an agent, getting a publisher and all of those things, which I don't love. Um, but like the thing that one thing that has been nice about reading it out loud, and I think we did a read through at my house once, which mm-hmm. was so sweet with um, Saleh and um, oh, anyways. Um, some of the homies, some of the homies from feel, back back into Dizay. Okay. Yeah, from back in that time, pre corona time. Um, you kind of have this, you, you realize, oh my gosh, I created something, you know, and that, that kind of feeling inside for me at least has been a huge motivator when other things, you know, because you apply for a lot of awards and you submit yourself to go to conferences. And, you know, I think a lot of people see this kind of 10% of things that actually work out when in fact, you know, most of the things that I submit myself for, you get rejected from. And Mm. so kind of knowing that you're doing something that you believe in and that you love is a big help. I don't know. Do you find that that must be the same for music? I'd imagine. Oh yeah. No, I love writing uh, music that I have no business writing, you know, music about it's, it's the way that I connect uh, entirely. No, like, no, I feel you. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you is like, okay, so here it is. You're reading it out loud. You know, audiobooks are a thing, you know, would you, would you um, be the one to narrate or would you find a narrator? Okay, wow. So I heard this story from, so I interviewed Cheryl Strayed, the woman who wrote Wild. You know, Pulling that book that here. they made into a movie <laughs> with um, Reese Witherspoon. People know this book, Wild. She like inspired thousands of people to go on the Pacific Coast Trail. Okay. Okay, anyways, she's very big for, like, American women. Anyways, I interviewed her, and she was... And I told her I listened to her, the book, Wild, as I was, like, walking home from work in Beirut. And she told me one of her biggest regrets was not retaining the audiobook rights to it. And that, to this day, even though now she's super famous, you know, they've made Hollywood films out of her books. She just launched this new podcast with the New York Times. Like, she's a really trendy oh current lady and they still won't let her do it and i was like mental note keep those audio yeah. right because yeah. i think that would be cool i don't know though 
I don't know. You you're good at voices and stuff. Like I do think there's something about some people's voices fit the work better than others. So who I don't would know. you want? Who would you do it? If not you, who the who in the world would you uh, have do the narration? Like, have you thought about that? Well, to be honest, right now that's a hard question because I just changed my first chapter. So okay, but I mean, like, assuming that you hadn't changed any chapters and the book was done and it's done and everyone's like, yes, yes, this is perfect, amazing. You know, um, mm-hmm. who? I don't know. Maybe like a British lady, just to kind of. But I've it's always about been America. Yeah, no, I know. I couldn't. I couldn't do a British lady. But it, in would my it be heart, a South of ha- hearts, would it be a Southampton accent? I mean, I've never had a Southampton accent. I know you so. haven't, but I mean, here it is. It's a narration. It's this book. It's about the Times. <laughs> I don't fucking know what a like, Southampton they, accent they be like, is. I'm drinking coffee. I, I really want to talk to you, Alan. Is it really? I gotta though? read my book out I don't now. Are farmers speaking that's like that? That's more up island. Yeah. That, that is the accent. It's a bit more up island than I would say. Honestly, I don't think there... I think it would be... Not a lot of girls have the accent still. It's weird. I've noticed that more guys that I grew up with keep the accent. Okay, so in terms of actors, though, like famous actors, American oh, actors. famous actors? Yeah, like who would you oh, narrate? Silverstone, duh. Really? Well, she's your doppelganger. That's different. Hold on, we're having a bit of a connection. Okay, you're back. Um, she's your doppelganger. Uh, That's fine. She's Alicia- my doppelganger and spirit animal, so. <laughs> well, you know, uh, let's get her people to get in touch with... Uh, you know, her people and your people, they'll do, they'll do some, yeah. some exchanges. Mary, did you ever watch Serial? Maybe Sarah Koenig, because then it could be like instantly dramatic. It could be like, where is Alexandra? Okay. Right. But not like uh, Morgan Freeman? No. I mean, maybe. He does have a very authoritative voice. Right. Um, but I do think it would, a woman would make more sense. Oh. Why is that? Well... I want to promote ladies, but also, I mean, because a lot of, a oh big my part goodness. of the book, a big part of the book <laughs> is kind of me realizing that I'm from this place that I love a lot and thinking about what does that mean? And then what does it mean to be from a community and how do you fight for that community? And I feel like because that's so personal and that's really the reason why I wrote the book, um, it's important that I would have a woman read it as well. Mm. Is that something that you consciously do sometimes when writing that you you like specify in your mind? Like I'm writing from a female perspective of maybe, for example, a teenage teenage girl uh, perspective or an older. Like, like, does that change how the chapters like roll out? Um, yeah, for sure. There's this whole, you know. A lot of times, because I studied fiction um, at NYU, where I went to university, and a lot of fiction writing, you'll, like, choose a character and then do a voice through them or, like, decide, like, oh, you're going to do an omniscient narrator and then pick different characters to follow. One thing that I've found and that I've read is a a thing that for a lot of women writers Mm -hmm. is that we kind of instinctively will do, uh, (laughs) instinctively do, like, a male older male voice because that's kind of like authoritative. So one thing that I've been trying to do is write like from different perspectives and different people. And I think 
I think it would be hard like to write an entire book from a perspective that I have no idea about. Mm. Um, but it's a great exercise I find with writing to kind of bring me out of myself. Um, oh, wow. Look, another NYU. Yeah. Yeah. yeah two's 298. Like, What's up? NYU. <laughs> We're like the least, like, it's, it's so funny because it's the school that you could be friends with someone for like a year and then you'll realize you both went to NYU together because you just don't, you're so unproud of it. <laughs> I oh. mean, there's, I had a great time, but the school, it's like not one of those schools that people are like, yeah, I bleed purple. Well, I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't know any of that like camaraderie or that kind of like, uh, you know, did, did you have In like Canada, a jacket? Did you have like a, a ring? Did you have like a thing? That no, you were nothing, like, nothing. Yeah. No. We didn't have a football team. We like got it was painted not. purple. Woo! Was our schools in Canada like that? Yeah, for sure. Especially like, for example, if you uh, if you were an engineer uh, at Queen's University, for example, you know they take great pride in in like hazing themselves and whatever through. There's a, a whole history. You know they have like this. Um, they have this pole that's. I don't, I don't They cover it in some kind of lubricant uh, that they oh, have. Like to, a maypole? Like a flagpole or whatever that they have to climb uh. up to the top and use their engineering ingenuity or whatever. And it's like covered in a material. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, anyway, it it's, it's crazy grease. And, and it's like, yeah, they're all covered in. Uh, it's like a dye, like a purple dye, because that's the color of the thing. You, you, uh, I, again, I'm not from Queens. <laughs> I'm not from Queens University, uh, so but yeah, there are certainly uh, traditions in all types of colleges and universities around that are just like okay there, okay. yeah, like super super cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Well, I mean, again, best of luck with your endeavors on your on your uh, rewriting of your book. I'm excited uh, as one as one could be. Um, I'm wanting to dive into some of the like uh, other work that you've done while, you know, for your listeners and our listeners, uh, some of the stuff you've been doing in, in Sri Lanka, some of the stuff that you've done, like you've got, you've been in a, like you got an award for your writing here in, in Lebanon. Like, tell us about that. Yeah, that was, um, so the story it was when Beirut pride was canceled um, and that was actually what was cool about that. I think a lot of times as a journalist, um, uh, sorry. Um, a lot of times as a journalist, when you live somewhere, especially when you first move somewhere, you can think like, oh my gosh, you'll see this story and you'll be like, why didn't I write that? Or like, oh, it's so frustrating. But that was such a great, um, that story was such a great moment of realizing how important it is to know a place really well to tell the story the right way. Because I think I basically, actually it was Tanya um, who she came, I was living with her at the time and she came home and she was like, oh, did you hear Beirut Pride was canceled? And I was like, no way, that's crazy. I literally sent a quick email to my editor at Playboy, who then at that time was the editor-in-chief of the magazine. And he was like, oh my gosh, let's do it. And it was the first magazine story that I wrote for them, which is a big deal like in terms of editing and money, and it just is more prestigious. Yeah. Um, and the story, it was so, it was really eye-opening because although I've had, 
gay friends in Lebanon and I knew people and I've been to gay events. I didn't real, and in many ways, you know, it's like open. There still is this element of it there, especially when I was trying to talk to people to get them to go on record. People who I knew were like out to their families, even foreigners who are living in Lebanon, living with their boyfriends, wouldn't go on record with me. Um, and specifically, that was one group that was hard to pin down. And then lesbians. I I don't think I've ever I've contacted between 10 to 20 lesbians and all of them were like, oh, my gosh, such a great idea. So happy you're doing this article about what it's like to be gay in Lebanon. But we won't talk to you. We won't um, go on record. They'll talk to you, but maybe go not on, go on record. Yeah, but And not even like give me an anonymous name. They're like, I'll tell you about the the scene here, but you cannot use any of this for the interview. <laughs> Hold on a second. You got free speech network uh, with homophobia oh, in Lebanon question mark. Who's that? Yes. It's, that's my friend, Matt. He's really sweet. Okay. Hi, Matt. Hey Matt. How's it going? Um, yeah. There's uh there's quite a bit of homophobia, not just in Lebanon. I, I'm sure you, this is maybe a sarcastic uh, <laughs> or oh, a silly comment. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Throughout the middle East, it's a bit of an issue. We actually just recently well, had a, uh, a um, you know, a lesbian comedian, uh, Shadden, if you've ever, she's been doing quite uh, quite a bit of like, you know, breaking down the... Oh, really? De- yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, she's openly out. gay and shout out to, to Shadden. Much shout love. Shadden. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for that story, it was one of those where in the end, I finally, I got a... Uh, a woman who was gay to kind of talk to me about it. And she ended up, it was, I, I felt like I was harassing lesbians in Lebanon, to be honest. Like I was like, it got to the point where it was like, okay, Alexander, you've got to chill out. Like, and finally this woman who I knew through a friend of a friend, she gave me her story and it made the article, like it made the piece. Cause basically she was saying, yeah, I'm a lesbian. I didn't realize until my later twenties. And what I have decided, like, I'm going to move abroad and I'm just going to live as a lesbian abroad, but I'm never going to tell my family. And I never want to tell my family. It would bring too much shame to my community. And I just, I'm ha- like, that's my way of being happy with myself. And I think one thing that was really interesting in reporting that article was realizing that a lot of the kind of, like one thing that all the activists said when they were talking to me was they said, you know, don't put this in the kind of American lens of being gay or being trans, or they were saying like, it's different here and we face different issues. We don't, you know, and a lot of the, some of the activities even around Beirut pride were like going into offices and having offices commit to being okay with gay, gay people as their employees, which I think is presumed to be something that should be happen. But it was just interesting to kind of see how, you know, one cultural thing in one part of the world is okay. And it can be okay in another part of the world, just in a different way. And I think that was a kind of nuance that I was only able to report on because I'd been in Lebanon for so long. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder how, like, how does one navigate around that? Like, what do you, what do you do? Just a partial name? Like you just do the first letter of the last name? Like how- Oh, for secret names? That's actually something I love. Like for that, a lot of the people did secret names and like, they would be like, oh, just pick one. And I hate it's, I hate picking 
uh, secret names for people because a lot of times it will be like, you feel like you're stereotyping them kind of, you know, like it, it's better for people to pick their own, especially in Lebanon. Wait, what's a stereotypical name? In well, whatever, like, okay, like, but what? if, I, if I'm Muhammad? interviewing someone who's Lebanese. Like what, what, no, what, okay. like. <laughs> but, okay, if I'm interviewing someone who's Lebanese and I know that they're Shia, Right. Like, do I give them a Shia fake name or do I sure. give them a Sunni fake name? Well, no, or, like, I mean, like, obviously also, the list, the Ar- I mean, the American audience wouldn't know any better, but anybody from the Middle a- East would be like, ha, 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 yeah, okay, Charbel, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Charbel, that's actually right? the best fake name, right. Charbel, actually, or Fouad. Once upon a time, <laughs> not a word yeah. of a lie. Uh, this is a fun uh, tangent, tangent, but you'll see where it ties in, ties in. With fake names. So once upon a time, and cool story, Lebanon being awesome. Uh, I was actually going to meet Selena, if you remember, or like, uh, I was Big meeting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So Selena was going to give me house keys because I had left mm-hmm. them or whatever. So I went to her place of work and it, 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 she was working at this hotel. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, uh, you know, on the phone with her. I'm walking to the entrance, walking to the back. I'm actually go. She's like, meet me in the back of the hotel. So I go to the back of the hotel and there's a security detail who I think is just security for the hotel or whatever. Like just like whatever, mm-hmm. mall, like mall cops, so to speak. Yeah. And turns out that they were like the security detail for a PSP, like, like serious politician person. Oh, wow. Right. So here it was, you know, I'm going, <laughs> going to the back of the, the back of where you're not like only employee only type of area. Yeah. And they're like, you can't be here. I was like, okay, listen, Mr. Mall cop. Eh, I think I know I what I'm doing. Agree. All right. I think I know what I'm doing. You can just relax. So anyhow, they end up um, pulling their guns out on me and arresting me, taking I me like, to jail. You're like laughing and then a swift. Oh no, no, no. Because I kept being like, just like, you know, just like brushing these people off. And they're like, what the fuck is this guy's deal? I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like they didn't understand. And they, they, anyhow, they did their jobs, whatever, bravo using excessive force. But the thing was, is that I was complaining to the police and, uh, I was saying that this detective came and I was like, who are the names of these people? And they all gave me Armenian names. Really? They just fabricated Armenian names. Like my name is Hagian Zazan uh, Abrajan, and I'm just like, that's not your your that's not your name, man. But very smart, because like, what are you gonna do? That is smart. And maybe like every day they change. Like they'll be like, okay, today we're all Armenian. Yeah, Tomorrow like, we're all Shia. Ahmed Ali Agazian. Yeah. Like, the next day we're what? Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean. That's that's really cool. So you, you received an award and this was through and you were doing this through Playboy? So this was for Playboy, but it was I think the fifth story that I had written for them. And one thing whenever I use one thing that I've noticed, especially reporting from Lebanon for American outlets, like some places, even if they're a really great outlet, Sometimes they'll change things and like it's you're really not supposed to do this. Any change that the editor makes, they're supposed to send to you. But sometimes what can happen is that your editor, you'll go back and forth and then it goes to like the editor above and then that person will change something. And as you know, in Lebanon, like some things are just really hard to explain in the country. Like, you know, talking about militias or like fighting or politics being like, yeah, you know, every politician has a militia, but like it's okay. Like 
yeah. there's things that you have to say it in a certain way because if not, it's offensive or it's wrong or, right. and so I've been in this situation a few times and now I know better or now I know like to only work with places that won't do this to me, but where they'll change like one word or something and it completely destroys like the validity of it. But luckily with that story, I'd worked with that editor Shane a lot. Um, and he, he was really passionate about it because he's also a gay Muslim. So he really like understood the kind of nuance. And that is something that I think is interesting when you're reporting on a different culture. You know, when I went to Sri Lanka, it was similar in that there were things that I knew because I was writing about the city in the north that's a post-Civil War place. And it was where the Tamil Tigers held for like 20 years Um Held, that was like their territory that seceded from Sri Lanka. Um, and so what was difficult about that, or what was difficult also about reporting that is like, you're trying to be really sensitive. And on one hand, you have people sharing their truth, but you also can't make it inflammatory. And I don't know why, like a lot of times I think my life would be a lot easier if I'm not always drawn to reporting on post-Civil War conflict places. <laughs> but right, right, here right. we are, like places with multiple like religion and ethnic identity. Like, I'm like, I love that. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, certainly you are a travel monster, uh, you know, to, to take a step away from the, you know, groundbreaking journalism that you've been doing. You're also a super fun surfer girl. Okay. Aww. Yeah. Wait, will you call me Betrunes? I called surfer you sweetheart. Betrunes surfer sweetheart. Yeah. She get that tattooed line. right here. Yes. Just get it tattooed right here. Like, <laughs> right there. Very yeah. aggressive tattoo. Uh, you That's know, perfect. but Hey, it's 2020. <laughs> Uh, you know why not maybe it'll be a stick tattoo if you, you could know? I've been yeah if you could get a tattoo on your face what would it be a stick oh definitely a teardrop <laughs> that's a bit extreme you do know what that connotates I right know, but you want to go straight to a, i killed someone i, I got a fucking tear tattoo on well, my face i mean obviously it could be a fake freckle i don't know a fake freckle that it's the go-to face tattoo. You know, I'm not trying to be different when it comes to my face tattoo. It's a weird tattoo. flex, Alexandra. I gotta say, it's got it's a weird I'm flex. Ne I'll never, mom and dad, if you're listening, don't worry, I'll never get a face tattoo. It's a weird flex to go to, yeah, to teardrop. I, that's that's <laughs> you, that's your inner gangster. I get it. It's cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Be like, don't mess with me, man. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, okay. So anyhow, surfing, traveling the world, hustling people. I mean, I, I consider you straight up a like a genius hustler because you've managed Aww. to hack the system. You've managed to be able to travel the world and, you know, make a living. And you've given tips to people through Forbes. You've been writing through to Forbes, to Playboy. Here, uh, quick tangent. Which is better? Playboy, Forbes, same, same love? You're going to get that? that from? I mean, I've worked for Forbes for like almost 13 years Where's that now. cheddar though? Where's that cheddar? I have, oh. to, I have to go with Forbes. Oh, Forbes. Forbes wins it. Take that playboy. Like, yeah. Moyaka shot. I can't go more into this. Yeah, you're more into that for sure. Anyways. <laughs> um, I like that you said it that way. Because honestly, sometimes I think people... I think one of the bad, one of the hard things about being a travel journalist is that people, a lot of times, they think that I'm just always on vacation, and 
which is fine. Yeah, you're never mind. not vacated. That's okay. Yeah. I don't mind. What? You're always on vacation. You're on permanent vacation. Exactly. I don't mind if people think that my life is like so great that I'm always having fun, but it is a bit frustrating in that I think that a lot of the kind of hard work that goes into chasing a story, like it's hard to find stories when you're not in a place. And a lot of the places that I end up writing about are places that I visit again and again. And then you kind of like, especially in the world of travel journalism, you know, there's kind of two ways to do it. There's the, or three, I would say. There's one that's like travel news, which is what I do for Forbes. And then there's one that is like going to a luxury hotel and writing a review of that, which is in many ways, like the, the easiest way to make money I see it as, but I personally just don't want to write stuff like that. Right. I have done one-off hotel things but it would have to be about a hotel that like is eco-friendly and doing something really innovative and interesting it's not enough for me to just kind of do a review and then there's the kind of travel writing which is what i love the most probably has the least money in it which is going to a place and kind of uncovering a story and sharing this place with people it's kind of the um hunter s thompson travel writing. gonzo um, gonzo journalism yeah which is like my, my inner, that's where the teardrop. Uh, <laughs> right. That's where that, that, Oh my God. Yeah. Have you, do you know what his ritual was? Like he had a regiment. Hunter S Thompson I, had a regiment. I feel like you're going to tell it and then I'm going to remember it, but what I don't, I can't recall. Just the, all the, the crazy mind altering drugs and alcohol that uh. this guy was consuming on like a regular basis. Like this was his, like his, process i mean i think i i saw it on like joe rogan's podcast or something like that but in any case like there's a crazy list of uh you know drinks of uppers and this and that smoking weed whatever and then only after a slew of cocaine and i don't know what and da 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 da, da at like 11 p.m he was ready to start writing really yeah it's very I fascinating with people like that, I don't know. Have you read um, "Electric Colloid Acid Test" by um, uh, Tom Wolf? Oh yeah, great, so, great book. Great book. Age is kind of not well because, like, they use the N word <laughs> a lot, and it's no idea. No idea what that book is. I've never read from our modern. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's following. Um, it follows um ken kesey and the the rainbow people that like followed him around like when acid was in the 1960s when it first started being create like distributed and this is like the birth of grateful dead and all of that kind of culture um and in the book you're like oh my god these people are living these crazy lives and it's you know the opening up tune in tune out like that whole thing but then i was doing research into a lot of the characters and you realize like all of them just fried their brains. Yeah. So I always wonder like with people that are like, yeah, do like, I've heard people say like you use cocaine to write pot, to edit like alcohol to writers, hack. author, author hacks, author, how to's. Yeah, no, but I am always like, but what is that person look like in 10 years? Because as much as I love being a writer, like I am a whole person and I don't want to, I don't know. A lot of the people that I think promote those kind of things don't last so long, you know? Keith Richards. That's true. Right. Although he did. Did you read Life? Oh, yeah. Another great one. He, 
<laughs> Stop. He, in the book, he's like, it's all these like terrible things that he did his entire life. And like, he was a bad dad and all this stuff. And then finally, like when he's in his sixties, he gets hit in the head with a coconut. And he's like, I guess I'll quit cocaine now. Cause the doctor was like, if you do cocaine again, like you will yeah, die. Blow up your brain. Yeah. He's wow. Like, oh, okay. Like, all right. <laughs> after 50 years, I guess I can stop. Yeah. Man, yeah, that that's a a whole another world that I can't even I can't even relate to. You know, I'm I'm too no. much of a goody goody two shoes. Um, okay. But I think we kind of I think that we didn't grow up in the right time for it. You know, because I think that sure. when a lot of those artists and people were experimenting, I don't think it had the same connotation as it does now. And I don't think we know, I think we know a lot more. You know, like mm -hmm. I feel like you have to be kind of there's a grunginess to it that isn't necessarily positive nowadays. Yeah, it's it's certainly fascinating time, especially in the United States, with them like slowly but surely rolling out one thing after another, like you know um, the legalization of marijuana, and then mm. pretty soon, I'm pretty sure that like uh, psychedelic mushrooms are proven to you know uh, alleviate depression. I don't. Oh my and, god, that I have to say that is a weird trend in the U.S. Like it's funny because I was in Lebanon and then I basically moved to the U.S. in quarantine. So I keep, I'll wake up and I think I'm still in Lebanon. Like, I'll be like, oh, I really need to get some tahini or like before I leave or like random things. And um, that's one thing in America that I did not expect. Like the whole like pot, CBD, dosing on mushrooms thing. Like, I'm like, guys. Microdosing in like uh, but it's all, Silicon Valley. Yeah, that's what's crazy to me about it. It's, I'm like, these are, it's like 30 year old tech bros. Yeah. Like I just didn't. I didn't expect like expand that your horizons. Be the new druggies. Expand your horizons, Alexandra. How yeah, dare I guess. You? I actually got an email. I wrote like one article about Denver's dispensaries, a travel article, like years Ooh. ago. And I guess there's not a lot of journalists that write about like legal pot in the US because I'm on all of these PR people's like chains. And the other day they were emailing me offering to like send me edibles in the mail. And I was like, I don't Oh, think for like, you know, uh testing it out purpose review yeah, purposes. Yeah, I was like, but I don't I don't think that's legal. Like I don't In the mail? Oh, they've been yeah. doing it. the mail has been the US like drug dealer top number one for, for the longest time. USPS known from straight from a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, we're just being silly, guys. Uh, just real yeah. quick, I want to let uh, everybody know that we're we've actually already reached the one hour mark in this Aww. interview. If you can actually believe that, it's crazy how quick time goes, especially when we're in such great presence. Um, yeah. So uh, instead of letting it just randomly cut off. I want to thank you. And of course, everyone who is in here uh, tuned in. Hey, Rod. You know, if you want to say hello to some of the people and shout out to whoever you want to shout out, promote whatever you want to promote, you know. Um. Yeah, follow me on Forbes Instagram. I'm going to be doing a lot of coronavirus coverage on Forbes, looking at a like kind of what went wrong with the State Department with Americans, because I don't know if you knew this, Alan, but like basically they, in Lebanon, they closed the embassy after, oh, hey, mom, they closed the embassy after they closed the airport. So I, I'm doing a big investigation into that. And I'm going to be asking Americans in other countries to kind of fill out this form and all of that. So hmm. follow me on Forbes, um, Twitter. Forbes what? Forbes, Alexandra Talty, Forbes. 
you'll find me. Alexandra Talty Forbes. If you Google that, I'll take you to my Forbes page. Oh, yeah. uh, your Forbes just- page. I thought I thought you were like on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like follow no, you no, on no. Instagram. My name everywhere is Alexandra Talty. Right, just right. So are you gonna are you gonna like uh, make it official and go with Salty Talty or what? I mean, well, my sister kind of she's got the best one, sweet and salty. The yeah, best yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I mean, like, I don't know. Oh come on! You know that that's been my nickname on and off for so many years. So go with it. What maybe, do you mean? Maybe. When I need a rebrand, I'll just be sal- salty, salty. I mean, <sighs> or salty bookworm. That used. To oh be my no, 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 no! Don't you know? Like you know, less is more. <laughs> if there's any lesson that we all look sweet and salty, I'll and seat it all. like seating it with the hookup with the. That's you know what I mean? Love that right is there. right there. Oh, I'm so glad that this is like uh, you've got all your your community tuned in. Uh, they're all Thank lovely people. It was nice meeting them, uh, your sister and your your folks uh, yeah. when they came through. I'm so glad. You know, that's one thing I got to say. It probably makes it a lot easier for parents when their mm. uh, their kids are living abroad. Is kind of you know understanding. I mean that's you know we got like mm, four four minutes or so before it's like and just cuts off. But I mean like, what was that like for your parents uh, and you and you like you just being like, look, mom, dad, I know, I know it's Lebanon. (laughs) Like just don't worry about it. Like how did that conversation go? Um, I mean my mom was always very supportive. My dad was. They're both supportive, but. For my dad, he definitely is always much more concerned. I do think visiting Lebanon and seeing that it wasn't this kind of war zone that they imagined helped a lot. Because one thing I think about, like, I think the Lebanese Civil War was the first, like, war that was broadcast on 24-hour television. So for, like, a certain generation, a lot of people have these really bad connotations for it. So, yeah, and and then they, they visited twice, and now I think they kind of understand. My mom, for sure, and my dad, I think so as well. Mm. But it definitely was a conversation. And what about the rest or, of your friends? Uh, like, oh, my God, my Alexandra. Friends, like, in my town, doing? People, they know me as, like, the Lebanon girl. Like, I think people are just like, why do you love Lebanon so much? And I'm like, that's the million-dollar question. Oh, but I mean, we know, like, or at least... Yeah. No, that's true. There's if, so many great... If you know, you know. But I mean, to explain, I mean, there's a reason why, like, the Romans traveled as far as they did to set up shop there, right? Like, I mean... Yeah, and they built their Baalbek. They built the Baalbek. They did the Jbeil. They did the Batrun. I don't know, man. Every time I'm up there, honest to goodness, right? Um... Yeah, you just feel like I could understand why you. I was trying to chase after you to come back and uh, and live in the and live in the city, you know, to come back home. God damn it! But you're all like, nah, yeah. yo, I ain't trying to. I ain't trying to live in in Madam Kyle anymore. I would much rather live in Batroon, and it's understandable because when you go there, just the sea and the energy mm-hmm. and the sunsets and and the small. It's got a small town kind of vibe to it. You know, I think you really lucked out, and and it was a very memorable and special uh-huh. breach of social distancing. How we spent the last your last couple of days in Lebanon, and, and I'm really glad that I was there. 
I know, me too. I feel like that was the last party that a lot of people went to. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> really was. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Alexandra, Aww. thank you so much for your time. Oh, it was a lovely... Lee Beirut, everybody. Lee Beirut. Okay. Oh. And I love this series, by the way. So if you're new to it and here because of me, follow along. It's got the best name, only here for the Wi-Fi. And yeah. Alan's been interviewing like really cool artists and all kinds of different cultural icons. Yeah. So get at me in the DMs. You know what I mean? Speak to me tomorrow. Yeah, we got a ballet dancer. You know what I mean? We got a marketing cool. specialist. We got Jackson Allers on Monday. We got. Oh, really? Yeah, Jackson's going to be an amazing interview. Um, you know, we've got uh, a. Um, what do you call it? A cosplaying makeup designer extraordinaire from New York. Cool. All right. She's from Bushwick. Uh, cool. And uh, she's going to be on. As well as another Wait. director friend from from Canada. So, to, like, half of the week, next week, mm-hmm. like starting Monday, it's going to be a, a, a film slash cosplays makeup kind of special. And then the rest Ooh. of the week, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, the time is going to expire. I love you. Okay. Thank you so very much. Love Have a great too. night. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so very much for tuning in. And again, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, Keep it locked in. Only here for the Wi-Fi. Like, subscribe, comment. Send me what you want. All right? I really, really appreciate all of you. Thank you. And good night. ما عجبتك ما تخلي 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 ما ت